0: Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
1: So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a CanadaLand supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to CanadaLand.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today.
0: On Canada Land Commons, we've been accused of having biases every which way except conservative.
2: We tend to have a lot of guests on this program who are of the progressive persuasion. But that does not account for a very large chunk of people in this country who are voting Conservative, who are thinking about Conservative policy, and they stand a very, very good chance of repeating and coming back in this election. So you know what? I'm actually curious. I want to hear from somebody who is a true blue Conservative
0: voter, somebody who does want to see the Conservatives win another majority government. Well,
2: I have good news for you, Andre. We have found just such a person, and we are going to talk to him today not necessarily about why he thinks Stephen Harper is the best choice to lead this country, but why he thinks that Harper is the least bad choice. And you know, I think that's something that so many of us in this country can relate to. Let's get into it. I'm
0: Andre Demise. And I'm Desmond Cole. And this is Canada Land. Cons. This episode is brought to you by Canadian journalists for free expression. CJFE is a fantastic organization that works to protect the right to free expression in Canada and around the world. I asked Executive Director Tom Hennefer about one of the most phenomenal resources available
3: on their website, the Snowden Archive. It is the world's first fully searchable index of all of the published Snowden documents. So it allows interested members of the public, journalists, lawyers, researchers, they can go onto our website, they can search through all of the documents that have been published from Edward Snowden so far. It's a really valuable tool that has led to a lot of great stories from journalists and a lot of great insight for normal everyday people because When these documents were released, they were all in a PDF format. You can't actually search them by keywords. So to put them all together in one place is an extremely valuable research tool. And one that actually Edward Snowden himself endorsed.
0: We need organizations like CJFE to make crucially important information about our privacy and our security accessible to all of us. But they need your support to keep their work going. Listeners of Commons can get a 70% discount on CJFE membership if they enter the word Canada Land when they sign up. Guys, go ahead and do it. Go to cjfe.org, check out the Snowden Archives, sign up for membership. Let's hold our government accountable. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today, we're joined by JJ McCullough in Vancouver. JJ is a conservative commentator and a cartoonist. JJ, what's up?
3: Oh, hey, not too much. Just got up. Feeling fresh.
0: <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, So I guess a a question I want to ask right off the top. You are a conservative, but you're not exactly what somebody would call like a typical conservative. You're you're pretty young, first of all. You live in Vancouver, which I didn't even know they allowed conservatives in (laughs) Vancouver. So how did you end up in that space?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's pretty unusual, I, I guess. I mean, I'm a young, relatively young. I mean, I'm 31 years old. I've lived in Vancouver my whole life. I live in the, I think, one of the safest NDP ridings in the entire country. I live in Libby Davies' old riding. You know, I'm holy smokes. I'm I'm gay, which is kind of fun. And I mean, if you looked at me, you'd think I'm like a kind of typical, you know, lefty douchebag liberal, I should say, because I have <laughs> like this, <us>. uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have this, you know, I have a sort of terrible haircut and this ostentatious mustache, and you know, in some respects. I don't necessarily see that as being inconsistent because I think that if you're a young person today and you want to be somewhat rebellious, you want to be somewhat countercultural, you're a conservative. And I mean, that was certainly in large part how I came to it when I was in high school. It was during the uh, the 2000 election in the States. And I just remember thinking... That it just seemed like all of sort of establishment adult authority, as I perceived it at the time, was all lined up behind uh, Al Gore. And everybody was just crapping all over George W. Bush. Oh, he's the dumbest guy in the world. He's just a terrible, terrible person. And then that's kind of made me feel like, well, maybe I'm going to rebel a little bit. Maybe I'm going to look into this George W. Bush guy. And then I looked into him and I found that he was not the sort of the demon spawn that he was being portrayed at at the time. I mean, we could say that this was also pre-Iraq war and all the rest of it. And then after September 11th, I just felt like the left was just really kind of morally bankrupt on this issue. America had been attacked. And it just seemed to me that the left, in this great moment of moral crisis, were choosing to make apologies for the attack, were choosing to give the attackers the benefit of the doubt, or at least apologies try to put themselves. Apologies for the themselves... attack? What, what I, were you so. doing?
0: I remember, like, no matter where you fell on the political spectrum, you were not allowed to criticize uh, America or America's policies. I remember that there was one. Uh, university professor. Her name was uh, Sunera Talbani, if I uh, think I'm correct there. And uh, she criticized America's imperialist attitude and why that might have been to blame for the attack. And she was roundly drummed out of every political circle that she was in.
3: But you see this, this is quite interesting, the way that you're, you're choosing to frame this, right? When you talk to leftist people about the aftermath of September 11th, a lot of times the greatest crimes that they'll characterize as occurring was the idea that some left-wing academics or whatnot had a hard time for their view, like that that was the great crisis of 9-11, as opposed to the actual attack itself. I remember reading a column, and, and it was about the guy who was like, he said that he couldn't help but cheer when he saw the attacks, because he felt like you know, this was a strike against sort of imperialist America from sort of the downtrodden third world who had been oppressed for so long. And finally, they were striking back. And, you know, that kind of sentiment, I think, is a sentiment that has some currency in the left and an idea that America is sort of on some level got what was coming to it. And actually, I think that we've seen this even in this very election that we're in now, where there has been a number of uh, candidates for the left wing parties who've had to atone for their views on 9-11, which were instinctively suspicious of America and somewhat sympathetic with the attackers.
2: OK, JJ, so let's talk a little more about Canada now and about what we're seeing in this election. We know that you're voting conservative. You've been forthright about that. Tell us why you're voting conservative. Well, you know, I'm voting
3: conservative because I'm a conservative person, and I have generally sort of conservative views on a lot of these issues. I think that a lot of conservatives, you're defined in large part by your opposition to leftism. You don't necessarily want government to have a proactive agenda, but you look at what the proactive agenda being proposed by the other side is, and you say, well, that is an agenda that I don't want anything particularly to do with. So when I look at the way that, say, the conservatives have positioned themselves on issues that are important to me, like crime and... And taxes and the economy and foreign policy and trade, you know, are they necessarily my model of perfection in every conceivable way? Perhaps not, but they're certainly much closer to my sort of baseline of thinking than the Liberal Party or the NDP is. And so I think that as a conservative minded person, your inclination is often to prevent government from doing the worst rather than from doing the best. And I I do think that Stephen Harper is the best available.
2: We've had almost a decade of conservative reign in this country now, first minority government and then majority. If you could point to two or three accomplishments during the Conservatives' time that have really kind of resonated with you, what would you say that those would be?
3: Well, I think that the leadership on foreign policy has been a big one. The idea to go to war with ISIS, which I think was sort of one of the great moral uh, challenges of our time, I think the Prime Minister has had great moral clarity on this. And I think that Prime Minister Harper rose to the challenge in a way that was appropriate, in a way that was consistent with, I think, Canadian values. I mean, I think that the general leadership on the economy has been correct. I I agree with keeping taxes low. I agree with not getting government involved in any new realms of of control or jurisdiction. Again, like you view these kinds of things in contrast to what the liberal parties would have been inclined to do had they been in power at the same time, rather than necessarily uh, what would be sort of Harper's own sort of proactive agenda, because I do think as a conservative politician, his instincts are not necessarily to do the big project, but rather to avoid screwing things. Up any worse than they already are. I think that the crime agenda has been has been good as well. Another agenda that I might note is supported by the vast majority of Canadians. You know, tougher sentences for for dangerous criminals. You know, longer sentences for dangerous criminals. I think this kind of stuff is is just a traditional sort of common sense approach, and it's one that I support.
0: Okay. When you talk about economic policy, you used to, you talk about uh, the conservative sound policy and not getting into realms we're not supposed to be in, but. We've had a government that's continually running deficits. They sort of came out of the gate with the, uh, the cut to the GST, which annihilated a, a massive amount of surplus that they had from the previous year. So when you say that they have sound economic policy, I mean, given that they've basically blown money out the door and they're consistently running deficits, what do you mean when you say they have sound economic policy?
3: Well, I mean, the deficit thing is, is not great. And I'm not the Conservative Party's lawyer here. I'm not going to pretend that they've been, you know, on the side of the angels on all issues. At the same time, though, I disagree with part of the premise, which seems to be the idea that if people are paying less tax, then that is somehow a bad thing, because that means that there's less money going into the government. I, I think that the problem was that the, the Conservatives weren't keeping their spending in line with their taxation policy, which is to say that if you're going to keep taxes low, which I do think is the moral and right thing to do, you have to keep spending low as well. Because I do think that the most important economic issue that faces any country is economic growth and how to simulate economic growth. I think that the conservatives have uh, the conservative disposition on this, which is that if you keep taxes low, then you keep more money in people's pockets. You know, the money in people's pockets is money that they spend, which stimulates business. And that's how you grow economically in this country, as opposed to sort of the more liberal inclination, which is, you know, you give more money to the government, the government centrally plans the economy, picks the winners and losers, you know, gives money directly to businesses that they think should be successful or that they think are important and and sort of stimulates economic growth that way. We've had a stagnant
0: middle class for a couple of decades now. So it's not as though lowering taxes has been able to, let's say, increase the amount of people who are in the middle class or be able to increase their incomes because incomes right now are barely keeping up with inflation. I'm not quite sure what you mean when you say that it helps us to keep money in our own pockets because the money isn't in our pockets.
3: Well, I mean, I would say that there's probably uh, bigger issues at play here as well. They probably have to do with the realms in which government is still too involved in the Canadian economy, which makes it difficult for people to be as prosperous in their businesses as they would perhaps like to be. But this is another reason why I do support the Conservatives because I think that they are interested in things such as expanding trade, which offer new markets and to getting government I mean they haven't been doing this as much as I would like, but you know getting government uh, out of different jurisdictions where they shouldn't be, which allows sort of more uh, competition, which I do think stimulates economic growth as well. There's lots of realms where government is subsidizing uncompetitive businesses for no real reason, except for there's some sort of sense of this is the nationalistic sort of patriotic right thing to do, sure, or like that the it would
0: manufacturing be, sector, for example. Yeah, or, like the, yeah,
3: like the manufacturing sector, or you know certainly a lot of the arts and cultural sector. I Think is way too heavily subsidized. I mean, the infamous example would be the dairy industry. Uh, the government has just sort of rigged the rules in order to force us to buy uh, dairy products basically from Quebec. I mean, whenever when I'm over here in in Vancouver and I'm drinking my milk, half the time, if you look at the carton, it'll say, you know, imported from Quebec. I mean, this is preposterous. It would be much cheaper. And in fact, many many British Columbians do this: would be to cross the border to Washington State and buy milk or cheese there, and then bring it over to Canada. But you know, because for patriotic reasons, the government has decided that well, we need to support the Quebec dairy industry, and thus they've imposed tariffs and whatnot to incentivize Canadian consumers to buy milk and dairy products from Quebec and to make it difficult to buy milk and dairy products and to import them from Washington state. So like that's an example of a place in which government is essentially picking winners and losers. And I think that part of the problem is that when you have government that's overly involved in in deciding these sorts of things, it's overly involved in, in regulating the scope and shape of the Canadian economy, is that it keeps people in jobs and in industries that are not necessarily competitive. And they're not necessarily allowing their businesses to expand. They'll only be able to expand as much as government dictates they should. And as a result, you know, people are not necessarily in the kind of jobs that they should be and and they're not able to sort of thrive and grow and uh, and develop. That is, I think, a philosophy that the left wing parties are much more into than the Conservative Party is. I think that the left wing parties have really not gotten the message about what we've learned about the the perils of a centrally planned economy versus a more free market economy. Because I think that one of the great dispositions of the left is to sort of to fear the chaos that a completely unrestrained free market can bring.
2: If you could single out one or two things that the conservative government has done in terms of policy or positions that they've taken that you haven't been satisfied with, what would those be?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that the the conservative government hasn't uh, scaled back government spending nearly enough. I think, for example, the CBC, I mean, the conservative government, despite sort of contrary uh, sort of leftist conspiracy theory has continued to prop up the CBC. I think this is somewhat preposterous. I don't think that running a, a television station is something that the federal government of Canada should be engaged in in the, in the 21st century.
0: Well, hang on. You know, you don't think there's a need for a public broadcaster?
3: No, I don't. I think it's an anachronistic idea. And I mean, you see this by the fact that Canadians don't watch the CBC. They may say one thing to pollsters, but I mean, the marketplace shows that there is no demand for this. Canadians don't watch CBC shows. I mean, liberals sort of wring their hands over this because, you know, there's lots of people that work for the CBC and da 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 but and You want I, to
0: take away my Anne of Green Gables. What's wrong with you, man? Well,
3: it's, it's, it's dumb. I mean, a government should not be in the business of doing things that the free market can do better. I mean, a more controversial view, even than that, is I'd say I don't really agree with the Conservative Party's immigration policy. I mean, the Conservative government has ratcheted immigration to 50-year highs, and they brag about this. This is something that the vast majority of the Canadian public does not support. That's something that I have a big problem with, and I've criticized them quite extensively for.
0: Why is it that we should allow a free flow of goods in between countries, but we can't allow a free flow of people? Why is it that products are okay to come into our country, but people aren't?
3: Because people take a tremendous toll on on the government spending. I mean, on the we do, you know, like it or not, have a very generous welfare state in this country. I mean, we have free health care, we have a host of other sort of social programs. And these cost a lot. And I think that if the government is going to import a ton of new people into this country, they have to be able to justify that. And they haven't, to my satisfaction. I mean, the vast majority of immigrants that are brought into this country, 75%, are either relatives of existing immigrants or refugees. They're not necessarily people that offer any readily available benefit to the Canadian economy.
2: When it comes to the issues that are being discussed in the current campaign, the longest campaign in modern history, what issues that are being discussed are resonating with you? Because, you know, I think a lot of people here talk of certain things going on in the campaign and they feel like this doesn't have anything to do with me. As a conservative, what issues are resonating with you that any party is talking about? Well, I
3: mean, as it stands now, as I just uh, alluded to, I-, I do think that some of this conversation about sort of Muslim cultural practices in the country, that kind of stuff does resonate to me because this is an issue that I care a lot about is immigration and, and cultural integration and assimilation and the sort of the nature of the country that we want to inhabit. And so I do think that when, for instance, this whole polarizing issue about whether or not women should be able to wear you know, the burqa when they're doing the citizenship oath, I do see that as an issue that is of quite a tremendous sort of cultural consequence for the future of this country. And so I'm encouraged by the fact that the government does seem to be taking something of a stand on this issue.
2: Let me follow up on that because we have all heard the polls uh, suggesting, in fact, it was a government commission poll that said more than 80% of Canadians support not allowing a woman to cover her face during the oath of citizenship. We hear that this is a very popular view among not just conservatives, most Canadians. Mm -hmm. But really... Most Canadians have never met a woman who covers her face and their lives are certainly not going to be changed if she can wear a veil every day except for when she takes the oath. So why is this so important to people like yourself?
3: Because I think it's it's very symbolic. And the, you're right. I mean, the fact that this is a, is a small minority of people, but, you know, by the government's own, you know, Minister Kenny brags about this all the time, they've imported uh, 300,000 Muslim immigrants since taking office. And I mean, there are cultural consequences that happen as a result of this. And I think that this has become a symbolic issue in which we're able to put our foot down, but we're able to say, look, this is not the way that we do things here. And I think that you create a standard of acceptance behavior you create cultural norms at a time when the country is changing demographically. This sends a powerful message to future Islamic immigrants that come to this country that you know certain behavioural norms are stigmatised in our society and that we don't go for that kind of stuff. And I, I do think that the government can have an important role in helping create a culture of assimilation because it's ultimately the government is the, is the force that is transforming Canadian society in this sort of way. I mean, immigration is not something that happens naturally, magically, like the tides. It happens as a result of deliberate government policy. When you look at polls, the vast majority of Canadians say that they would like to see caps on immigration or immigration lowered. And yet all of the political parties conspire to raise immigration. And if that is going to be the situation, then I think that a lot of Canadians want to have some sort of sense that there are going to be checks and balances in place to ensure that sort of Canadian culture, as it has been historically understood, is able to be maintained in the face of a tremendous challenge, which is people coming from different countries that are culturally quite exotic and quite alien and often have, you know, frankly, beliefs that are quite regressive and quite quite incompatible with, I think, beliefs that you and I and the majority of other Canadians would take for granted, such as the rights of women. I do think that the Conservative Party's moral clarity on this issue has been inspiring to a lot of voters in the same way that, you know, that I talk about how I found, uh, you know, the conservative response to 9-11 or the conservative response to ISIS much more inspiring than the response of the left, which I do think is this kind of bleeding heart, you know, hand-wringing. It's like, oh, who am I to judge? All cultures are equal. Saying anything negative about anybody's belief system is is the worst form of evil you can possibly commit.
0: Okay, I got a couple of follow-up questions to that. So you talked about, for example, uh, a vast minority of people who uh, wanted to take the citizenship oath, while wearing an e-cob. We know that there have been two. I didn't so, say
3: vast majority. I, I, no, so, you, know, you, said, you said
0: the vast minority, Minority, right? So when we're talking yeah, about minorities, there's an actual number to that, and the number is two. And the yeah. government has so far spent over $257,000 fighting this. So this means over $125,000 per person wearing an e-cob. Yeah. If the government should be hands-free when it comes to market policy, why do you believe the government should be so hands-on when it comes to cultural policy?
3: (laughs) Only because the government has created this problem. I mean, the government has, as I said, I mean, the government has a rather thoughtless immigration policy that does not give any consideration to cultural compatibility of the people that are being imported. And if that is going to be the case, then, I mean, I think government has to sort of fix its own mess. I mean, if, if the government is importing sort of radical or fundamentalist Islamic people that are completely incompatible with Canadian cultural values then I think that government bears some responsibility to promote assimilation policies that will help smooth that transition. Otherwise, what you get is what you guys are having over there in Ontario right now where, you know, your government, you have a very progressive uh, liberal government over there that's trying to bring in a very progressive sexual education agenda, and what's happening is you're seeing a massive backlash, in large part led by rather fundamentalist Muslim people who don't agree with Canadian cultural norms about women and sex and sexuality. The the revolt against political correctness is, I do think, another thing that really sort of inflates the sales of conservative voters. Particularly, like when you look at this election, where there's been all of these like tiny microaggressions that the the left, you know, the CBC or the Toronto Star or various other left wing bloggers and pundits have just leapt all over the conservative campaign for, and they're just like minor things, like Harper says the wrong word, and I oh, think you mean that like
0: the uh, the old stock Canadians comment, like
3: the old stock Canadian things, or there was even yeah. more and even more disingenuous one where Minister Kenny said something about Mayor Neshi in Calgary, where he said people like him will always have a problem with this kind of thing, and he was very obviously meaning, you know, people like him in the sense of people on the left, but, you know, Mayor Neshi gets on his high horse and, you know, pretends that it's this racist thing, and then there's hashtags on Twitter and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I think there's a lot of perfectly decent people in this country who want to be able to have a conversation about some of these cultural issues without constantly getting tarred with the brush of of racism or bigotry or intolerance. And I think that the more the left-wing parties ally themselves with that side of things, I think that that buoys a lot of conservatives, because frankly, I feel like this is a big, blind spot for the left is this sort of idea of political correctness and multiculturalism and, uh, you know, this kind of moral equivalency is something that turns a lot of people off. And I do think that if, no, and and just one final thought, I I do think that if the Conservatives win this election, I do think it will be in part because they have been able to stake out a position of moral clarity on this issue that matters to a lot of Canadians.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you went there, JJ, because I, I did want to ask, the Conservative Party has defended a lot of very controversial positions lately, Uh, whether it's women wearing the niqab, whether you you go back to cutting the GST, all kinds of things that the Conservatives have been on record for. They have defended by saying, this is what the majority of Canadians want. It's true. And yet, yet, in in the upcoming election that I think we're about to see, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I can pretty well predict one thing. The Conservatives are not going to get... A majority of the votes or even close to a majority of the votes. Do you as a conservative take issue with the fact that a conservative government can take all of the power or that any government can take all of the power by dominating the parliament with less than 50 percent of the vote?
3: No, I think it's I think it's bad. I mean, I think that Canada has a very poorly designed political system. I would much rather we just elect the prime minister directly and we elect the parliament directly and the parliament can do what it wants and the, the prime minister can be, you know, do to some extent what he wants, but also be held accountable by parliament. I mean, you won't hear any defense of the of the system from me. But what I do have a big problem with is the idea that the prime minister of the country could be someone who comes in second place in the seat count, which I feel is what a lot of the liberal uh, intellectuals in the press and, and elsewhere are pushing for you know they want uh, you know if, if Prime Minister Harper wins a minority government well they don't want him to be allowed to take control they want you know some sort of ungodly coalition government to take place instead I mean I find that to be a tremendously offensive and anti-democratic idea I think that that is in large part though a product of a bizarre party system that we've evolved in this country I mean it's it's preposterous I think that we have two left-wing parties instead of just one I mean we have one conservative party why do we need two? Left-wing parties. I mean, they split the vote, and that causes all sorts of weirdness. And I think that that's something that the left-wing parties themselves have to atone for. Why they cannot unify behind one leader, even though that the you know the NDP and the Liberal Party are, are both basically identical at this point.
0: I can give you an answer to to that, and that's because uh, progressives are just historically terrible at unifying. That's always been the case. It's
3: it's, it's true, but I think that the left wing parties have also nominated two really bad candidates. I see this all the time on the streets of Vancouver and whatnot. You know, yesterday I was walking around and people have these little clipboards and they're trying to get me to vote strategically to stop Harper. You know, but you can't elect stop Harper. I mean, at some point in the day, you have to buckle down and you have to say, okay, Thomas Mulcair should be Prime Minister of Canada, or Justin Trudeau should be Prime Minister. of Canada and I think that a lot of progressives get pretty squeamish when they're asked to put things in, in such clear terms and I think that the idea that we could go with someone like Justin Trudeau who is an unserious and unqualified you know, sort of dilettante or, or Thomas Mochaire who is a big question mark, like nobody really has any sense of where this man's like deep moral principles on anything come from, I mean he's a career politician he's a chameleon, he's been on every side of every issue, you know, he's been on the right, he's been on the left he's been in the Liberals, he's been in the NDP he supposedly wanted to work with for the Conservative Conservatives until the pay was too low. I mean, the idea that either of these two men would demonstrably be a good prime minister, I think is a very difficult case to make, which is why the left increasingly doesn't make that case. And they just try to talk about how much they hate Harper and how everything will be, you know, sunshine and lollipops when he's gone.
2: Well, we really appreciate you coming on to give us a conservative perspective, which we don't often have on this program. (laughs) So JJ McCullough from Vancouver, thank you very much for joining us on Canada Land Commons. Thanks for having me. So Andre, welcome back. You've been gone for a couple weeks. Thank you very much, I uh, appreciate you welcoming me back. Glad to see you. And what did you think of that interview with JJ McCullough on conservatism and politics in this country? Uh, the viewers cannot see my face right now, but it is that's like- because they're listeners, Yeah, but go on. Oh,
0: Sorry, did I say the viewers? It was so hard not to come back at him on every single point, but that's obviously not the point of inviting him on. We wanted to make sure that we had a conversation with somebody who could, could explain a social conservatives' points of view um, and clarify that for our listeners. So, yeah, I, I'm really glad that he had the, uh, you know, the courage to come on and have these conversations. We asked a lot of people to come in. We did. A lot of people said no, and JJ was the only one who said, yep, I'm ready to
2: come on and uh, explain my points of view. So we give him props for that. Mad props. Um, so JJ said he doesn't think the conservative government has gotten out of the way of the economy enough. He thinks that they're too active on immigration. And I... You know, my question is, is that really about being conservative or is that about being Canadian? Like, I would actually argue that most Canadians think immigration is a good thing and don't want the government to simply get out of the way and stop bringing people in. I would argue that most Canadians, when times are especially tough, like they've been in the last few years, want the government to intervene, want the government to pump more money into certain industries like... I just think that every party, like he said, does that, whether they're conservative or not, because that's a Canadian thing and not a conservative or liberal thing. Well, I think it's more a
0: matter of, you know, when it affects me, then it's important. So I don't know that Canadians support him. As a matter of fact, I would probably side more on with JG in the sense that a lot of Canadians, I don't think support immigration or are not supportive of a, a very open immigration system. I think they're
2: very preferential as to who we bring into the country. I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be, but I think that's just the way that most people think. I think that that people are cool if the immigrants coming in get to work for less money than we do and don't get to stay and have to go back home. I think we're very cool with that. I think we're very cool of them coming in to take care of our children for low wages, to work at crappy jobs for low... I think we're, we're definitely united so as we're a country So we're basically in that. okay
0: with indentured servitude, which is
2: not immigration, but I think that the vast majority of Canadians are okay with indentured servitude. Okay, but you know, I didn't come back at our man on this, but when you talk about like the face of Canada and the cultural norms of Canada, there is this group of people that immigrated here en masse not that <laughs> long ago who changed all of the norms and customs I think we're talking about the British and then the French who came after. And we now say that that's the norm and pretend that indigenous people in this country do not exist. So I don't, of course, on principle, accept his argument. But I will say that he is representing a lot of people because they want a certain kind of immigration and they are afraid of some kind of mass uh, wave of immigrants who are going to come and change things, even though that's exactly what happens every time someone comes to a country.
0: I guess my cynical point of view on this, and this is one that I've held for a very long time, is that ultimately people, I don't think, are political in a sense. I think they support political parties who support their points of view. And for most people, their
2: point of view is, once I've got mine, I'm going to slam the door behind me so that you can't get yours. Andre, what did you think about JJ's comments on cultural norms in Canada? (laughs) And, you know, you're laughing, but you and I... Are sitting in a room here, two black men, and our culture is apparently not First the representative. Canadians, by the way, well, yeah, I'm born in this country. This is my damn country too. I was born in this country. This is my damn country as well. But my parents came from somewhere else, which apparently had a different set of cultural norms and values, which I guess is bad now. But listen, you and I can fight back against what he's saying all you want, but we are being told in this election every day. That it doesn't matter what we think because we are outnumbered. Because the majority of people in Canada don't want your cultural values. The majority of people don't want your customs and your religion. And you've got to park that. And that's gaining so much traction in this election. And we're not talking about other things. Are you scared, man? I'm scared. Because... I can fight back against this all I want, but the argument that it is popular seems to be what we want to talk about.
0: I'm not scared, because for me, this is the way that it's just always been. I I don't recall... I mean, you know, growing up... um, Because my family, my my background is Jamaican, so I'm a first-generation Canadian, but my family comes from Jamaica, you know, and I heard everything growing up. I heard about, like, you know, uh, Jamaicans smoking weed, Jamaicans being criminals, Jamaicans um, being uh, irresponsible fathers and so forth. Like, I heard all of these these things that people were telling me. It was always white people about my cultural background and how these norms are not acceptable in Canada. And, you know, I mean, I am where I am, you are where you are, and there's a whole wave of first-generation Canadians who did a hell of a lot with what we had, and our parents worked tooth and nail to get us here. So when someone says that, you know, uh, the cultural values are unacceptable and they have to blend in and we shouldn't be bringing in these waves of immigrants because they end up taking a toll on the social welfare system. Well, I mean, you and I are contributing quite a bit to the system as it is and so do our parents. So it's easy to say, it's easy to, to think of like this, this teeming brown horde, like this mass of people that is just like crashing the gates to this country and then like swarming over our uh, social entitlement policies like locusts.
2: And that's just not the way that it turns out. Like Im- immigration to this Canada has been incredibly productive. I think what I'm saying when I say, uh, when I talk about being scared, is that a pregnant Muslim woman who wears the niqab was attacked in Montreal the other day. And all the parties are quick to say, Oh, I don't condone that sort of thing. I don't condone that violence. But That is what you are doing. Your words are violence. The words that people are using in this country now on a regular basis to describe others are violent. And I'm worried because there are going to be more violent consequences that flow out of people's language and out of their attitudes. And I feel like we have to take more of a stand and do something about this because The time for polite conversation is going to go when you can attack somebody in the street and say, oh, well, you know, that's really unfortunate that that happened. Again, I'm just
0: incredibly cynical here, and
2: I just wasn't surprised whatsoever. Look, when we began this conversation about the
0: kneecap and when we brought the word terrorism into that conversation, it was entirely predictable. You don't have to condone it. You don't have to say, go out and find somebody and beat them up. But what you are saying is that person in our country is a threat. And that, that's the implication. You have to eliminate that threat. Some people will say that we should eliminate the threat by closing our borders. Some people will say we should eliminate the threat by not allowing them to take the oath of citizenship while wearing it. And some people will say we have to eliminate that threat.
2: Through violence. I just hope that everybody out there is paying attention because this is what's being done in order to win a political campaign. And maybe afterwards, people say it was even good strategy that our politicians brought out these hateful messages. But it's you and I who are going to have to deal with the consequences of these messages after this election is over. That's our episode for this week. By the way, guys,
0: you are all invited to come out to our Canada Land election night party. That's going to be in Toronto at the Monarch Tavern. There'll be drinks, there's going to be me, there's going to be Desmond, Supriya, and a whole other cast of characters from the show providing analysis on the election results. And if you can't make it, have no
2: fear, we are live streaming the episode online. Details to come. If you want to keep this week's conversation going, and I'm sure a lot of you out there will, please find us on Twitter. Just search for Canada Land Commons. Much thanks to our awesome producer, Imogen Burchard.
0: And as always, music credits go to Nathan Burley. Find us online at canadalandshow.com. We do love it when you email us. We don't always get back in a timely fashion, but we do incorporate your feedback. You can reach me at andre at canadalandshow.com. And me at desmond
2: at canadalandshow.com.
0: You can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please support us. That's patreon.com slash Canada
2: Land. Yeah, you know, guys, show us a little bit of love, give us a review. We are in the home stretch of the election. Talk to your friends and colleagues about this program.
0: The next episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is going to be on Thursday, and Canada Land Commons is back next week Tuesday. Until then, bye-bye. I got nothing else to say on that one, so we can just wrap it up there. I'm
2: done.
1: So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over a hundred episodes and counting. And our plan, well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Land supporter, so from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to CanadaLand.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best, things you can do for yourself is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca CanadaLand to claim this offer.